Hey guys, uh, this is the time of the year when we remind you how you can support this podcast by becoming a member of The Incomparable. You can sign up for a monthly or annual pledge to support this podcast directly. Here's what you do. Go to theincomparable.com forward slash members and sign up. You'll be asked to pick shows in the network you'd like to support. If you just check the box for click a cast, and why wouldn't you, your entire contribution will come to us after a few fees are taken out. But if you listen to other podcasts on the Incomparable Network, you can also check their boxes and your contribution will be shared equally by all the shows you want to support. As a thank you for supporting us, members receive lots of extras. There's exclusive bonus audio, a bootleg podcast where you can listen to episodes of shows right after they're recorded, and a members-only community on Slack. Since this is the pledge season, many of the shows in the network will be posting bonus episodes just for members. In the case of Click-A-Cast, Phil and I will be discussing the 1988 Ramona series that ran on PBS. There are contribution levels at $5, $10, and $20 per month, and annual equivalents are available as well. If you're already a member, you can increase your pledge to a higher level and get some special goodies in return. So if you'd like to support us, go to theincomparable.com forward slash members to sign up. Thanks. How was that? Very good. (laughs) After her first day in the third grade, Maggie Schultz jumped off the school bus when it stopped at her corner. Bye, Joanne, she called to the girl who was her best friend sometimes. See you tomorrow. Maggie was happy to escape from sixth grade boys who called her a cootie and from fourth grade boys who insisted the third grade was awful, cursive writing hard, and Mrs. Leeper, the teacher, mean. You just heard the opening paragraph to Muggy Maggie by Beverly Cleary. I'm Phil. I'm John. And you're listening to Click It Cast, a Beverly Cleary podcast. Okay. Did you like that? That was great. Do we have we'll, an... we'll, we'll, we'll just stick that in the front and nobody will ever know that we forgot to do it till the end. Or we'll just keep it right here and it's a fun Easter egg. <laughs> The cover for this book says Muggy Maggie. Nobody's going to make Maggie learn cursive exclamation point. <laughs> I have the Jacqueline yeah. Rogers illustrated edition, which right. funny is, is that Alan uh, Tigreen, T Green illustrated like the second edition. Like, yeah. And this was like not everybody. Yeah. Everybody had a crack at this, uh, except for, of course, uh, Lewis, uh, Lewis, darling. Lewis, darling. I heard that he they uh, they laid a copy of it on his grave, and his hand <laughs> came up out and threw it threw it over the fence. Right, but by, by some strange coincidence, I because this was not a book I read in my childhood. This must have been a book that um, my kid picked up in a yard sale somewhere. I have the first edition. It's a second printing of the first edition, but the first edition uh, of uh, Avon paperback. With the illustrations by K Life. Okay, what is her? What do her illustrations look like? Well, you know, the, there's a style of illustration that came about. I think I associate it with like the the 80s. This is this is published in 1990, where the illustrator obviously did a lot of photo reference. They she obviously hired 
some uh, models to work out these scenes and then constructed them in, it looks like, graphite. And they have that stiffness, you know, when you when you have something that was obviously staged and photographed and people were holding a pose for 15 minutes while they took their photographs. And then they went back in and they uh, sketched it all in. So, um, you know, they're, they're accomplished enough, but they're a little... You know, I, I I would I would like to see her loosen up a little. <laughs> Maybe she has in the intervening thirty odd years. <laughs> well, I've never seen another book illustrated by her, so uh, I'll have to look her up. Well, the original hardback uh, first edition of Muggy Maggie has a cover that I actually really like. Um, it's Maggie. It's the it's the picture of Maggie at her desk, but it's not the same one that you have. It's I believe that edition that you have, the paperback, is based on the original illustration, but it's sort of like. Uh, uh, prettied up for modern, more modern audiences. But uh, I actually like the cover of the original version. It's very like down to earth. But what's funny is I prefer the illustrations that I have, which are by uh, which are by uh, Jacqueline Rogers, because Jacqueline Rogers has a very cartoony style, and uh-huh. trying to ground this story in too much reality makes no sense. At like. This book is such a weird conglomeration of like Beverly Cleary's like sharp insights into the way children work and just a completely, a completely ridiculous plot that barely sustain would that would barely sustain itself as a large format picture book. Uh, right. And that sort of dips into almost like Roald Dahl-esque like shenanigans with the authority figures. Like everyone's super concerned about this really pathetically small problem and they'll go like out of their way to solve <laughs> that. I'm like, I don't understand like what. First of all, listeners, if we, if we make <laughs> if we may crib uh, a, a, sta- a saying from another podcast, it's OK to like a book. If this is your favorite book from childhood, don't yell at us, please. We are we are a couple of old men yelling about uh, a nineteen. Uh, is this a novel? It's like a novella. It's barely a pamphlet. I don't understand what this is. This feels to me like a chapter from an early Henry Huggins book. Yeah, like when when everything was very episodic. This there's enough plot here for like a middle sized chapter in Henry and the Paper Route. It does have its its weird charms. I mean, the other thing that I, I I was taken aback by was here on page twenty one we see uh, we see Maggie typing at her computer, and it's an Apple II. Oh. It's like a it's a full on beautifully rendered Apple II in all of its clunky glory, and uh, it it's a little shocking to see that. Of course. The most shocking thing is by this point, the Apple II was a, a terribly obsolete computer. So um, <laughs> By 1990? Well, if, if this is another one of Beverly Cleary's uh, you know, hard luck families, maybe they, they, that's what they had around the house. Well, we're given no indication that this is a hard luck family. Uh, we're given no indication about much. Uh, you said this seems like a chapter out of a Henry Huggins book. I was thinking, this seems like a B-plot in a in a, in a Ramona <laughs> book, but not a B plot about Ramona. Like if there was a kid in her class who didn't want to do cursive, and Ramona helped come up with a solution to that problem, because Matt, one of my issues with this book is that Maggie doesn't want anything. She doesn't want to do cursive, but there's no. She doesn't do much 
she just doesn't do cursive. She's like, I don't want to learn to write cursive. And so she just doesn't. And everyone else around her is like, we've got to make this child want to learn cursive. And she's just like, no, nah, no, I don't want to. They're going to refer to the child psychologist because she doesn't want to learn cursive. So for, for, for the audience, I'm going to sum up this book really quick. This is about a little girl named Maggie Schultz who starts, what's third grade, and the teacher's like, you're going to learn cursive. Maggie doesn't want to learn cursive because it's hard. Uh, she doesn't learn cursive. So her teacher and the principal and the school psychologist and her father's secretary and a bunch of other adults connive to get Maggie to learn cursive by having her take notes to and from the principal's office written in cursive that are about her. And since she feels they are about her, she learns cursive in order to read the notes about her until the final note says, I think Maggie's learned cursive. And she's like, I did learn cursive. And then the book just kind of ends. And that's the end of my, that's literally the entire plot of Muggy Maggie. Right. Well, we have this dedication at the beginning by Beverly Clary saying to a third grade girl who wondered why no one ever wrote a book to help third graders read cursive writing. Um, and this is the sort of thing that Clary just doesn't do that often is a book on request. You know, yeah. we had we had Dear Mr. Henshaw. Right. And that was a an amazing success that was that was based on a kid's uh, suggestion. So maybe she felt like this was an issue on par with uh, <laughs> children having to learn <laughs> to deal with their parents' divorce. Yeah, it's it's one of those. It's it's such a weirdly. Uh, you can tell that Cleary has a position about cursive, and it's not just that this kid should do what she's told in class. It's that cursive is important, and it's more important than them computers that all the kids are on all of a sudden. Because there's a real, like, because Maggie keeps saying, I don't need cursive. I've got my dad's computer. And then she'll write on the computer, and they're like, that's no substitute for cursive, Maggie. And that's kind of the lesson, I guess. Also, she's got a dog. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that that's one thing I want to say is that if you go through this first chapter, Clary just runs through all the checklists yep. about, I'm going to establish a whole new series here out of this Maggie character. Right. She's gives, she gives the, the girl a dog. She gives the girl a family. We have domestic scenes. We have scenes in school. We have these, uh, we have a best friend. We have all this stuff. None of this goes anywhere. Right. None of it pays off in any way. Uh, and, of course, Maggie, sadly, is lost to the ages after learning cursive after this book. But it, it feels like um, it feels like Clary had an enormous pot of coffee one morning <laughs> and decided she's going to write a whole new series from scratch. She's tired of these, these Ramona books. Yeah, and this book, like I said, this book is short. Uh, you can read, you can sit and read this book easily in like 20 minutes, you just yeah. zip through it. Uh, but you're right. Like it goes into all this detail about like her dog kisser who they got from the SPCA's pick a pet page in the newspaper. He's a cockapoo. She likes to play. There's all this detail. You learn about her mom who teaches exercise classes. You, you, you get their nicknames for each other. You get names of all the kids in her class, the teacher. And then yeah, nothing happens with it. Right. And Maggie, we're told, uh, or at least she she likes to tell us, is a gifted student. She's a smart, creative student, and she blames uh, that quality of herself for why she doesn't want to learn cursive, because she doesn't 
it doesn't speak to her in her I don't know her her, her specialness. Um, but we never but but that's a lot of telling and not showing. Again, yeah, we never get to see her do anything particularly uh, remarkable. She doesn't you know, she doesn't of, do anything. <laughs> she's not even like Ramona who like has like these flights of fancy or who gets like caught up like when Ramona didn't want to do something when she got stubborn and refused to do something it was because she felt misunderstood or there was something eating at her or there was you know there was always a greater a greater story going on inside her head that she needed to sort of find a way to navigate in order to sort of break through this wall that she had and Ramona wasn't wasn't presented as flawless or anything or even like gifted uh she was she was sort of she's sort of a normal kid, but clearly understood that like kids aren't just just stubborn for the sake of it, except Maggie just for all of her like explanations, she just seems she just doesn't want to learn cursive. Like that's it. She just doesn't want to do it because there's not a lot of story here. One of the <laughs> things that occurred to me as I was reading this book was I was thinking back on learning cursive in my class and thinking about my kids learning cursive and all the arguments people give for and against it. It is, after all, uh, very much a dying uh, skill in this country. Right. And, and today, you're going to find fewer and fewer people who see it as an absolute necessity for adult life in the United States to know cursive. But it, it gets brought up, this, you know, in the, in the same way that people bring up something like driving stick shift and say like why don't kids learn to do this you know right but i but i always feel like with those sorts of things like there's a million and one things you can learn that are life lessons i think that you know one could learn could make an argument that everybody should know how to make a good red sauce for pasta uh -huh. you know, that's like a, a simple life skill everyone should have that will serve you well in life when times are tough and you don't have a lot of money you can go out and buy a can of tomatoes and a, a head of garlic and you can make yourself a red sauce people don't know that i wish this book had been about a kid not wanting to learn to make red sauce because there's like <laughs> there's far more like plot possibilities in that because uh so yeah you get all these chapters that are that have like little illustrations of like how to do cursive and stuff and you have these little revelations like at the end of like chapter two where her father like signs his name and she's like, you didn't close your loops. You're supposed to close loops on letters that have pieces that hang down. She had learned a thing or two in spite of herself. Like, that's that's it. <laughs> See, this is an interesting point to me, because by the time we came along and, and, and were learning cursive, there were a lot of theories about what the best cursive forms were. And you were taught things as though they were immutable truths. But actually... If you learned cursive in this country from 1960 to about 1990, there were at least three or four major forms of cursive that were in competition with each other okay. as to, to what you really wanted to do. And they were all based upon different ideas about what was the most uh, efficient form of Because cursive writing in this country has been associated with efficiency, right? Uh, which is an odd thing. I'm a graphic designer. I know a little bit about the, the history of, of, of script. And like script went from the Italic chancery to English roundhand to 19th century copperplate, which was a very beautiful form. And then when the ballpoint pen was introduced, which actually happened at the end of the 19th century, it's, it happened earlier than most people think, 
suddenly you couldn't get thick, thin lines anymore. And so people developed these new forms, these cursive forms that are closer to what you probably were taught in school if you were taught cursive. And in America, it was all about efficiency, baby. It was like, how many words can you write a minute? And, you know, it was a, a very puritanical idea about what was uh, kids should, should learn to do. So, um, and, and some forms have you loop. Some forms have you break things. Uh, the reason why we have, or some people learned that really stupid looking Q, capital Q in cursive. Oh, yes. And some people didn't is because these different forms had different ideas about that. Yeah, and I was going to say, uh, you mentioned the Q, which was, of course, brought up in one of the Ramona books. Yeah. Uh, she refused to write the capital Q. I feel like we've already gotten this topic covered in Beverly Cleary's, <laughs> like, series. Ramona learned cursive, and she hated the cat. Like, to me, that's really all you needed to say on the subject was uh, it's, it's a pain in the butt to learn cursive and then you do it and then you've learned it. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's, it's weighing on this point. So like you said, she gets sent to the school psychologist who spends an, like an hour with her and then asks her why she doesn't want to learn cursive. And she's like, no. And he's like, interesting. <laughs> and then that's that chapter. He should have had like a Ludwig von Drake accent as he said that. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's it's that's like halfway through the book. Like nothing happens in this book. This book has some weird things, though. I, I do, do. You have the I, I, like um, where is it in chapter like chapter five? Okay, uh, she's given a pen that can write in two colors. Yes. And in my edition of the book, they actually print in two colors. Oh, really? They have. They, yeah, here, I'll hold it up for you. You can see, like, the, the little thing here. They have, like, blue and red wow. ink on this. And this is insane. I, I, I will tell you again, as a graphic designer, that means that for, the, for these two pages, they had to <laughs> slap another two uh, printing presses because the way printing presses work is you get, like, one press for each color. They're chained together. Like, it goes through the blacks. It goes through whatever other colors. They had to put in two whole things just so they could get this this effect for these two pages. And I, I, I just can't understand how Cleary, even as a, as a major seller for the publisher, how she was able to pull that. <laughs> She's like, look, I got a sequel to Henshaw coming out, and if you and if you play your cards right, I got another Ramona book in about ten years. So uh, give me the two color, give me the two color printing. She, it's like it's like her and like House of Leaves, or like the two the two problem children for the publishers. No, I do not have the two. I do not have the the two colors. So yeah, so the secretary, her father's secretary, who sometimes gives her gifts. That's a thing, I guess. Uh, gives her this two-color pen, uh, either red or blue ink. And so that's like, it's just in trying to encourage her to work harder. She writes her a letter to thank her, and then she gets a message back that's like, if you're really so slop, sorry you wrote so sloppily, why don't you write your letter over? Thanks, Ms. Hilda Matt. And I'm like, I don't understand like who these people – every teacher in this book is kind of a jerk. Like every adult in this book is kind of a jerk and every kid kind of is like, 
I don't like anyone in this book. And I think it's just because it's so focused on cursive. Like everyone just cares so much about if Ma if if Maggie was like shoplifting, like that was her problem. Like she was just a regular shoplifter. People would not care this much. Like that would still be a secondary personality trait. It's also such a fever dream. I mean, it, it goes through everything so quickly. Yes. I mean, on the one hand, it's way too interested in cursive. You know, it's like it's like those comedy Twitter feeds, like real carrot facts. Uh -huh. <laughs> like this would be real cursive facts. <laughs> Somebody out there start that, by the way. <laughs> My edition is 70 pages long, including several full page illustrations, a bunch of inline uh, cursive examples. Yes. It makes these effort this effort to establish what Maggie's world is but we spend no time so it, it just basically becomes the strange earth seven where everyone <laughs> is preoccupied with cursive one of the reasons that this book really threw me was uh I have the Kindle edition and I got well there's two things about it first of all I was like oh I gotta I read this book while Alana was at the grocery store like she was like I gotta run to the grocery store and I was like oh I gotta read Muggy Maggie so like while she was just out of the house I, was, I read it and I use when I read something that I have to just sort of get through <laughs> I first used Kindle uh, Word Runner which is where it shows you one word at a time it just kind of flashes the words at your face and you do like 400 some words a minute so uh, I was reading it that way not realizing that the concept that the that the cursive examples in the book are considered illustrations so it doesn't show you the illustrations in word runner so it was all just like maggie looked at the note then she got up like i wasn't i didn't realize that i wasn't actually getting what any of the notes said so there was that and also uh it got to the end of the book at the 80 percent mark in the book it was like you're 80 percent done Maggie sits down to write a note. She writes the note. You stop pushing the table into my stomach. Sincerely, Maggie. And then I turn the page at the 80% mark, and it's an excerpt from Ramona the Pest. <laughs> and I realize that 20% of this book is previews for two other Beverly Cleary books. That's how short it is. No, wait, I'm sorry. 70%. 30% of the book is is two other Beverly Cleary previews. At the 70% mark, the book is over. Well, Phil, I think what you've proven here is that Cleary was right. Computers are <laughs> a big problem. Think back to, to, to 1990 and you think about those. those I mean, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that she's writing about this with the conceit that kids don't want to learn to write cursive because they're going to be using their computers and I, I 1990 was still kind of early days for people to I mean people had home computers right. definitely they had they had the the Apple from the early, you know the, the mid 70s there to the the 80s people had apples but but that was just kind of like a, a thing you had around the house right. you know you could play adventure games on it and your dad could pretend to use visicalc on it or something <laughs> like that and if you had a printer it was dot matrix and it looked terrible anyway in some ways it's it's she's a little forward thinking here about this sort of thing that 
but the trouble with the, this whole argument is, is it's not wrong. You know, if you actually learn to touch type, uh, the, I think there's a compelling argument to be made that people should learn to touch type. Uh-huh. Everybody should, because you can suddenly, it, the minute you, it, it's a real pain in the butt. It's irritating. It feels like you're just doing a chore. There's nothing particularly creative about it. But when you break whatever part of your brain it is that keeps you from touch typing, suddenly now you're typing 30, 40, 50 words a minute and you can express yourself faster than you could ever possibly do uh, with with cursive. It should have been about her having to learn shorthand. (laughs) Like I can see her getting upset about that. I don't know. I mean... It is strange. It is a strange position to. It's a tough. It's a tough position to come down so hard on because, you just. I mean, it's it's an opinion, and if you're going to write a book about it, you're going to have to like support your opinion. But it's also there's just no plot there. I mean, again, I'm going to state if this was your favorite book as a child, and I know that there are people out there who really like this book, uh, Mitzi really likes this book. And this morning I was like, uh, John and I got to go record about Muggy Maggie. And she was like, oh, I like Muggy Maggie. And I said, okay, what do you like about Muggy Maggie? Like really seriously, honestly, what do you like about this book? And she was like, um, I like that she learns cursive at the end. And I was like, that's not a thing. Like, what do you like about the book? And she was like, I don't know. And I'm like, yes, exactly. I proved you wrong, child. <laughs> you didn't like the book. <laughs> well, you're a great parent, Phil. It's just, it's full, it's phone nostalgia for a time you didn't exist during. <laughs> well, that could be it. I mean, this could be like her uh, Stranger Things, you know, because it's like her, her little, her vision into 1990, you know. And she's thinking about like the early days of Nickelodeon. She didn't get to live through right. that. But. No, if, if Beverly Cleary had her ear to the ground a little bit more, she like obviously like Cleary after a certain point just gave up on pop culture references. Like at least we don't have Muggy like I mean, Maggie like getting home and like I'm gonna turn on the TV and watch some Ah Real Monsters or maybe Wienerville <laughs> or whatever was on TV in 1990. I don't know. Uh, because it still has that weird, like, timeless Beverly Cleary quality, but it's firmly set in 1990, but it's still got that kind of aw shucks neighborhood, got our dog from the, you know, SPCA, and uh, I don't I don't know, it's a, like you said, it's got so much detail, but not, not a lot of story. <laughs> Like if something else had been going on more important with this in the background, like maybe something dramatic. And the reason Muggy Maggie. Oh, and they call her Muggy Maggie because when she tries to spell her name, she doesn't join the A up. So it looks like Muggy. That's the whole story behind that. If there was something personal going on, not even overly dramatic, but like something personal she had to work through. That was she didn't want to learn cursive because that would be just another hard thing to get through right now. Then great, like great. But to make it the focus of the story is so why the school psych like no one said this school has so many unlimited resources to throw at this one student who just doesn't want to do her work. Like if I didn't do my work in third grade, I just get a bad grade and then I'd be like, oh, I guess I should do my work.
But you know, as you as you say that, this that that actually makes me kind of like the book a little bit more because, in some ways, this is a book about you know white privilege, yeah. and particularly about the fact that she's this um, she's this uh, cute little girl with blonde hair, and everyone comments on it. Her dad calls her Goldilocks all the time, yeah. so she's she's kind of like the. Um, She's she's gonna fail upward in life. Right, Mikey, like, yeah. Mikey Maggie is going to. There are kids in this school who have real problems. <laughs> there are kids in this school who are who are facing challenges every day, and like Maggie's taking up valuable school psychologist time, just because she doesn't want to do her work. If she didn't want to make a paper bag owl, they probably wouldn't send her to the psychologist. Like, what is it with the what is it with cursive? Uh, Maybe they have well, like a grant. <sighs> Okay, I feel like we've been kind of hard on this book. <laughs> I didn't dislike it uh, that much. I it, it, I I found it just weird. Yeah, it's weird and unsatis and unsatisfying. But it also made me think a little bit about cursive. <laughs> it made me go back and read about the history of uh, of of handwriting, and it made me think a little bit about the early '90s. So, I guess. <laughs> That was a success for me. I mean, was that Beverly Cleary's intent? I don't think she was like, I want people to think about the look, 90s because it was just 1990. Look, Phil, Phil, the author is oh, – right. we, we're, we're way past death of the author now. <laughs> this, this, is, this is like everything we read now is, is from our, our perspective. So we have, to, uh, we have to engage with the book uh, where we are. I guess if it had been – if Cleary had gone a little further into exaggeration, if – if the stakes had just kept rising, like, oh, I see where you're going with this, like, like a story, like a kid's picture book where it's like so and like like a like a like a Shel Silverstein poem where like Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout will not take the garbage out. Well, of course, after as a, after a while, it becomes cat a catastrophic situation just because a child doesn't want to do a very simple thing. I can get my head around that. But because she goes so far, but then stops. Like I can actually buy the mouse on the motorcycle better than I can buy this because it's in such a weird like place between like her just everyday school naturalism and like people really caring a lot about if this little girl wants to take cursive or not. I don't know. I, like you said, I don't. It's still Beverly Cleary. It's still clearly written. It's still it's still well written. Um she she knows her character. She's got like some she's got some funny dialogue. There's some there's some clever like observations she makes about teachers and like a teacher saying like we're going to have a like a great year. And and Maggie being like, I don't know if I trust adults who tell us like how good the day is going to be. And I like that. Like, I think that's that's some clever obs uh, like observational writing. And uh, but it just uh, it just. I, I have no desire to return to this book. It's like Otis Spofford. I was just kind of like, all right, like, I don't know what if I'm supposed to like this character, but okay, like some stuff happened, I guess. You could imagine perhaps uh, an alternative universe in which Maggie went on to have more uh, adventures, and I, I think it would be kind of great if. As they went along, it would be more things that Maggie didn't want to learn to do <laughs> that she eventually learns to do. Like she doesn't want to take driver's ed or she doesn't want to learn how to file her taxes or she doesn't want to. So it's generally you know, like, like it's like every 10 years then like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like all these all these like steps along the way, you know, she doesn't want to learn about 401ks. And <laughs> like she, someone takes her aside and tells her, you, you really have to plan for your future. and so. 
Yeah, if she was setting up a series, like I just don't know what she was setting up. Uh, it's kind of like the Ellen Tebbets thing. Like, I, I guess there just may not have been anywhere for the character to go after the initial book. Like, the character just didn't have enough of an inner life to to warrant additional telling of her tales that you could just as easily tell in an, in, a, in a later Ramona book, maybe. This is what I've called before a, a problem book in that it's a book that's given to children to address a specific issue they might be dealing with at one point in their life. And uh, as as a, uh, a fan of the Berenstain Bears, you should be very uh, familiar with this. I was as a, just thinking about that. <laughs> but um, it's not the sort of thing that Cleary does. No. And, and, and now we can kind of see why, you know. I think even the closest she gets is something like Dear Mr. Henshaw, which you might think as you start reading it is going to be a book about dealing with divorce, but it's so much more than that. It's about uh, a young person learning the therapeutic value of writing right. and learning to develop his own uh, critical ear towards writing. And that's a much more interesting and, and, and broadly stated issue. It's not a story that has a clear solution. The trouble with this is this is a story that has a clear solution, which is just learn the damn curse. Of the kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not. There's just no stakes. Like, there's really no stakes in this book. Like, if she doesn't learn cursive, she'll just get a bad grade and then she'll learn cursive. Like, that's and even then, like, it, it shows you that she's learning it, like, without even trying. Like, she's doing work in class, just not very good work. And. There's no like there's no like make or break. She has no goal like she has. She wants nothing. She has no goal. She just doesn't want to do something and she doesn't try to come up with clever workarounds. She doesn't like, OK, instead of doing this, I'll do this instead of do she just doesn't do it. And like even Henry Huggins wanted a bike, like even Ramona, even when she doesn't have a clearly stated goal, even then she wants understanding. She wants respect. She wants like but Monkey Maggie just just doesn't want to learn cursive. And I don't, to me, that's not enough to hang a character on. It's not enough to hang a plot on. It's certainly not enough to hang a novel on. Uh, maybe a poem. Maybe a little, like, maybe a poem that's like, Muggy Maggie at her desk doesn't want to do her work. Something, 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 la da 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 jerk. I don't know. And then, like, and then, like, and that's it. Like, and then she learns to do cursive. <laughs> Phil? How's your handwriting? Terrible. I had to write. I have to. I just took a. I just took a writing class, and uh, and we had to do like exercises in class. And she'd be like, "All right, you have twelve minutes. Write this." And I sit down and I start writing, and my hand is like cramping after like thirty seconds, like like two minutes in, and I'm just like in pain, and my writing is illegible. It's just this like horrific scrawl across the page. So it's bad. <sighs> well. Maybe we read this book too late in life for, for, for us guys. But maybe uh, you, dear listener, maybe there's still a chance. <laughs> yeah, go learn cursive, I guess, is the, I guess is the lesson of this, of this episode. Is this going to be one of the episodes where we get so much like hatred from the listeners? Is this going to be one of the ones where we get accused of being too hard in the book, or is that just me? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know who you've been listening to. Nobody talks to me about this podcast. One person was upset about one of our episodes once, and it stuck with me for like 
Oh, right, right. All these months. I just don't want people like being like, Muggy Maggie is Muggy Maggie got me through some hard times. I'm like, because you know what? I, if it did, that's great. But I'm I'm just I'm just I just can't I cannot get behind a Muggy Maggie. These old men not liking this book just aren't entertaining anymore. <laughs> old men yell at Curse of Cloud. <laughs> old men yell at hundred year old woman for not writing good book thirty years ago. <laughs> This hundred-year-old woman should have done a better job on that one book out of all of her classics. <laughs> so yeah. So what is our uh, what is our next our next book? Is it Strider? It is Strider, the follow-up to Dear Mr. Henshaw. And you know, as as we mentioned at the front, if you if you throw a few bucks uh, at our at our uh, beloved network, The Incomparable, you can also hear uh, our upcoming episode on the 1988 uh, Ramona series. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. Well, better than it's this one. I think. Be great. <laughs> you're going <laughs> to love it. Um, are we done? I think we're done. <laughs> okay. <laughs>